0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. I wonder, is anyone visiting from out of town Seattle this weekend for the long weekend? Any visitors? A few? Yeah, welcome. Well, I'm J.J. Kissinger. I'm the senior pastor here. (laughs) I run everything. I'm in charge. It's no big deal. No, clearly that is not true. Uh, But I am on staff. I am the director of Side by Side, which is our outreach ministry serving families who have kids uh, with serious illness. We serve families uh, who have kids in treatment at Seattle Children's, families living at the Ronald McDonald House. Uh, I love what I do. It's a real privilege. Uh, One of the fun ways that we serve these families is through Camp Side by Side. And if you've been around, you've probably heard a few things about camp side by side. It's a pretty epic week. You might have heard about the giant slip and slide that we set up that's over 100 feet long. You might have heard about the carnival that we host, where we bring in all these inflatable slides and bouncy houses and a dunk tank and face painting. Um, Let's see, you've probably all heard about the Tully's cart. You can kind of get whatever you want, whenever you want, with as much whipped cream as you want for no charge. It's pretty magical. It's a fun week, uh, if I do say so myself. But there's one thing that I love more than anything else about Camp Side by Side. And what that is is the chance that we have to see families bring all of their own personal, specific, individual stories and see how they fit into a larger story. So here's what I mean when I say that. Uh, When a family gets a cancer diagnosis, the tendency can be to kind of circle the wagons. They buckle down and they start getting serious about finding some solutions. And that impulse makes sense because it feels like in an instant, their whole lives are turned upside down, and they're left with this one question of, how are we going to make it through this? A lot of times families become experts in their particular diagnosis. right? They learn all the jargon, and they research all the clinical trials, and they become laser beam focused on things like medication schedules and nutrition. And of course, this is unbelievably isolating. It makes them very lonely. No one else understands. No one else is facing the same circumstances that we are facing. No one else cares as much as we care about our child. And yes, friends will do their best to be supportive. But even still, these families can feel really misunderstood when some well-intentioned person says, oh, I totally get it because my cousin's dog had cancer once. Or they suggest an alternative treatment that they found online. Or they say some vague cliche about how God doesn't give us more than we can handle. For really good reasons, these families feel isolated, and their defenses are up. And so that's why we bring 20 families, they pack up their minivans, and they come down to Camp Arnold for a week of summer camp with Side by Side. And of course, we laugh our heads off together, and we enjoy a spectacular week of activity and rest, but we also get to see something really special happen when these families start to share their stories. For a lot of these families, Camp Side by Side is the first time they've been with other families who have been on a similar journey. And as they begin to tell their stories, they see other parents nodding with this real, genuine understanding. And it starts to dawn on them, oh my gosh, we're not alone. And of course, none of their stories are identical. But they realize that there is this bigger story that they've been a part of. And as more of these specific and particular stories are shared, that bigger story becomes more and more evident. It's a painful story. It's a story of dreams shattered and hopes lost. It's a story of frustration and agony and fear. It's also a story of discovering unknown strength and courage. It's a story of new hope in the face of darkness. So it's not an easy story. It's not neat and tidy. But at the very least, it's a shared story. And as this happens, you can actually see the defenses go down. You can physically see shoulders relaxing and brows kind of unfurrowing. You can see arms uncrossing. There's this opening up in this sacred space of safety. And at the end of their week, their enemy might not be any less aggressive, but these families leave feeling stronger because they know that they're not alone. The truth is that all of us encounter these wobbly places in life, whether it's sickness, uncertainty, fear, disappointment. Whenever we experience struggles of all shapes and sizes, we have that same bad habit, don't we, of hunkering down, circling the wagons. We isolate, we try to take control, and we just end up feeling exhausted and alone. Today, we're finishing our series on the book of Ephesians. And I think that Paul's words today are going to help us locate our particular wobbly places into the context of a much larger narrative. And I think that Paul will help us uh, feel invited into a position of strength and steadiness. For those of you that follow your bulletin closely, you might notice that the title of this sermon has something to do with a shoe. Uh, George comes up with these titles when he's like on sabbatical in the summer. I did not choose to go in the shoe direction. So if you're on the edge of your seat waiting to find the shoe tie-in, let me rest your mind at ease. It's not going to happen. So put that out of your mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> These are the only shoes that, if you care to talk about them, they were birthday present. So, yeah, but that's, that's all the shoes. Just want to be clear about that. Um, I want to read to you a text from Ephesians 6 that Ray read just a moment ago. Uh, you can open it back up in your Bible, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And with all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. I appreciated what Janie said last week about the book of Ephesians. She talked about how the first three chapters of this letter are kind of like a summer camp high, right? Paul can't stop gushing about all of the goodness of God in the lives of the Ephesians. He says that they're redeemed and they're forgiven and they're adopted and sealed and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And if you're in Ephesians, you're like, this is pretty awesome, right? Life is good. But then Paul kind of pumps the brakes with some real talk. He says there will be temptations, there will be complicated relationships that require a whole bunch of work. And as an Ephesian, you go, okay, you know, that's not ideal, but it sounds manageable enough. But then Paul says, oh yeah, there's one more thing. You're going to have to armor up. And the Ephesians say, I'm sorry, what? Do you mean like war? And Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And they say, the devil? The devil? Now, I've heard a lot of families describe what happens when they first hear that word cancer, spoken by a doctor. The wind is knocked out of you. Everything goes blurry. It's hard to get your bearings. It's a loaded word. It's an awful word. And I would say that armor is kind of a loaded word, too, right? When I hear the word armor, I I immediately think of any battle scene from any war movie that I've ever watched it brings out all of that the the scenes of warfare. It's violent, it's chaotic, it's terrifying. And if that's not enough, Paul doubles down with the loaded words when he talks about how this war is a war against the spiritual forces of evil. And I think anybody who was alive in the 80s, you might remember the horrifying images of demonic warfare described in the book This Present Darkness. Are you with me? That was terrifying. That was worse than any campfire ghost story I've ever heard. And still today, I would say that spiritual warfare, this idea, it's a mystery. It's dark. It feels wild and out of control and hard to define. And it's just not something that we want to deal with. C.S. Lewis talks about we have this bad habit of either wanting to kind of ignore spiritual warfare altogether or kind of get totally obsessed with it and feel like everything that happens has to do with this horrible spiritual warfare. And of course, neither one is a great response. And hot tip, the latter doesn't really win you friends at cocktail parties. But what do we do? I mean, it's a reality, right? And I think Paul is pretty no-nonsense here. He says there is a war, it is spiritual, it is real, and it's time to armor up. And so we say, okay, Paul, you have our attention. I think it's interesting that this section follows two chapters of specific instruction for Christian living. Uh, So you might remember in chapters 4 and 5, Paul talks about being unified. He talks about avoiding deceitful schemes and remaining pure. He lists all of these behavioral do's and don'ts. Don't lie. Don't steal. Watch your mouths. Don't be greedy. Don't get drunk. Submit. It seems to me that all of these specific instructions kind of start to poke at our particular stories and our particular struggles. Seems like we're kind of confronted by all the specific ways that we are blowing it. Paul says, keep the spirit of unity. And I go, oh, shoot. I mean, I've probably leaned more towards the spirit of gossip and divisiveness than working towards unity. But honestly, those people are so wrong-headed in their thinking, how can I be expected to, <laughs> to deal, right? Paul, Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. And I can think of uh, lots of less than kind words that I've spoken to people driving on the highway and even people in my own family. But it's the end of a long day, and I've had a lot on my plate. And give me a break, right? Paul says, don't get drunk. And listen, I know I had a few drinks the other night, but I don't think I would classify myself as drunk, okay? You see what happens here? When Paul starts poking around at our behavior, we start to get a little bit defensive. And I think it happens to all of us. If we feel threatened in any way by circumstances, by opposing viewpoints, or by scripture even, our first impulse is to throw up our defenses, right? If you spend time with a newborn baby, you'll see this at work. When the mom and the dad are very attentive and close by with a bottle and a clean diaper and trying to take care of all the baby's needs, that baby is typically pretty calm, feeling pretty secure. But if mom or dad goes away and the baby's alone, there's this rising sense of insecurity and powerlessness and vulnerability. And what happens? Tears, right? We've all seen that. We have in us this innate desire for protection. We want stability. This is nothing new. I'm just naming it. If our stability is threatened, we become defensive, right? And we start to build a defense around ourselves. We manufacture a sort of armor that we think will protect us. And I'm telling you, it's not the armor of God that Paul describes. It's actually more of a false armor, an armor of isolation. There's no mutual submission here. There's no humility. There's just control and excuses and temporary solutions. And this is the defensive armor of isolation. We will take care of ourselves. Thank you very much. It'd be great if life were conflict-free and we could just sort of dance around in the good vibes of chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians, right? But here we are, surrounded by a whole bunch of broken people, facing a whole bunch of broken circumstances, and sometimes the reality is we feel far from the promises of God. Instead of standing strong in the face of challenge, we sort of cower behind this false armor of defensiveness that we've cobbled together. So the question is, what are these wobbly places in your life today? Where are the uncomfortable places where you feel sort of unstable and unprotected? Where do you feel vulnerable? Friends, it's that place of vulnerability, that's where Paul is addressing us today. He invites us away from our obsession with our own particular stories and invites us to reflect on a much larger narrative that's taking place. Just like those families at camp, they're so relieved to hear that they're not alone. Paul wants to encourage us that we are living in a larger story than we realize, and we are not alone. And so now, in a totally unexpected move as a Presbyterian pastor, I would like to make three points. LAUGHTER Just something I came up with. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, The first thing I think Paul wants us to understand is that we are not alone in the attack against us. We're not alone in the attack against us. Paul recognizes how easily we do become so preoccupied with all of our own circumstances and all of our own challenges. When I wear that armor of isolation, I tell myself no one else could possibly understand what I'm going through. No one else could possibly bear to see me in all of my failings. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I'm all alone. But Paul, in his kindness, he does not judge us in our struggle. Paul doesn't point the finger and say, hey, loser, pull yourself together. He, he says, our struggle. Did you catch that in just one word? Paul universalizes all of our unique and individual stories of struggle. And he's not doing it in a way that's kind of diminishing, like we sometimes do, where we say, oh my gosh, I totally know how you're feeling about this divorce, I remember breaking up with this girl in high school, man, that's hard, totally get it, right? He's not dismissing the realities or the complications of each particular story. He's not comparing or diminishing all of the precious details of each of our circumstances. All he's doing is reminding us that these struggles are part of a much bigger picture. He's saying everything that I've talked about so far, the goodness of life that is offered and all those pitfalls and temptations and challenges that you have to slog through along the way, it's all part of a bigger story, this huge, epic story, this struggle against the forces of evil. Paul has the words of Jesus ringing in his ears, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And we need to be reminded of this epic story every single day of our lives. Why? Because dangerous things happen when we make this big cosmic struggle into something small. Dangerous things happen when it becomes a struggle between flesh and blood. I'm reminded of when Lisa and I were engaged. Our pastor offered us a piece of good advice about conflict. He said, be careful in conflict that you don't make each other the enemy. Because it's easy to sit across the table and say, you didn't fold the laundry, so you're a selfish jerk. You know, just for example. (laughs) Hypothetically. He said a better way is to imagine yourself sitting on the same side of the table and talking about the issue as an objective thing, kind of a reality that's separate from either person. So that means that the enemy becomes the unfolded laundry, and you can sit next to each other at the table and try to solve that problem together as a team which I thought was pretty good visual. It's good advice. And sometimes when we're struggling, I think it's important for us to stop and ask, who is the enemy here? What are we struggling against? Because if we believe that our struggle is nothing more than a flesh-and-blood struggle, guess what? We make each other the enemy, right? A flesh-and-blood struggle requires an us and a them. There has to be insiders and outsiders. But Paul says, no, this is not that. The church is not meant to be a closed community that's at war with outside world. God's church stands for the world, not against it. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, to come for the very least of these, for the Jews and the Gentiles, the poor, the hungry, the marginalized, the natives and the immigrants, the Democrats and the Republicans, and the socialists. (laughs) In Jesus, there is no us, there is no them. We are one flesh. We are one body. To to take this even one step further, if we believe that our struggle is a flesh and blood struggle, we can also make ourselves the enemy. So think about this, this. When we struggle with addiction or with shame, when we face physical illness or mental illness or struggle with lust or greed or anger, and those moments when we cannot muster the strength within us to overcome our own bodies, our own minds, our own selves we imagine ourselves to be our own flesh and blood enemy. And in those moments, we start to see God as far off. We start to see God as this aloof figure, this disappointed father, an angry judge. In our self-loathing, we can even make God our enemy. But Paul says no. As we accuse one another, as we accuse ourselves, Paul reminds us of the accuser, the liar who wants to steal and kill and destroy the liar who wants to see us falling down with shame, who wants to see us isolated. There's an enemy working against us, against each and every one of us, and against all of us together as God's people, as God's image bearers. And when we acknowledge that all of our particular struggles are rooted in this one really powerful force of evil and opposition, it certainly doesn't make anything better, right? But at least we know that we're all on the same side of the fight. At least we know that we're not alone. And even though our enemy attacks relentlessly with terrifying and cruel precision, we know that we're all in this together. And that's where we find strength. We're not alone in the attacks against us. The second thing that Paul wants us to know is that we are not alone in our defense. And here's what I mean. The heart of this metaphor is that the full armor of God is not something that we create on our own. It is something that is given to us as a perfect and complete gift. It's something we receive. And in this war metaphor, we might imagine God as our king, who is outfitting his troops to be sent out to to defend the kingdom. But our story is a bit different because our strong and mighty king has actually gone before us. Our strong and mighty king has gone before us to fight on our behalf. In the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our king has already won the war against the powers of darkness. And so we're invited simply to stand, to stand in victory dressed in the glorious armor of the kingdom of God. And this has always been the nature of God, to fight on behalf of his people. Do you remember when Moses freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and then he led them out into the desert? We all know this story, right? Pharaoh comes after the Israelites with the full force of his army, and it says every single um, chariot available in Egypt. He did not invite the charities, by the way. (laughs) And the Israelites are trapped. They have the Red Sea before them. Do you remember what Moses told the people? He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. You may have noticed that the armor that's given to us is almost completely protective in nature. There's the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. The only offensive weapon listed is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we know, even from this passage, the word of God is the gospel of peace. We need only to be still, to stand in the full confidence and steady assurance that our victory has been won not to invade, not to attack, not to destroy, but simply to stand strong in glory, right? This week is Fleet Week in New York City, which is a tradition of the US Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard, where active military ships that have recently been deployed overseas come back to dock in US harbors for a week. And the festivities start with the parade of ships, all these huge military vessels that enter into New York Harbor with all of their uniformed crew standing on the edge of the dock at attention. And as I saw this on the news, I was really struck by this visual of these servicemen and servicewomen representing the full force and full glory and full power of the armed forces that they represent, just even in their ceremonial uniforms. They're not even dressed for combat, but we all understand the metaphor, right? We see that, and we know what it means. And that reminds us that even for the Roman army, this armor actually had a few different functions. Of course, it was helpful in actual combat. But even off the battlefield, this armor meant something. A Roman soldier in armor was honorable. He was deemed worthy to be part of the fight. He was a hometown favorite. The mere sight of his armor would impress friends and absolutely terrify enemies. Right. It signified a soldier's rank. It could also be stolen or um, taken from an enemy as proof of success or domination over them. So when we take up this armor, yes, it protects us, but it also tells people something about God's kingdom, right? It tells us something about our place in God's kingdom. Paul talks about in Romans that we are co-heirs with Christ, that we are included in Christ's family, that we are sons and daughters of God. So in this armor, we stand in the full glory and victory of God who fights on our behalf and reigns with peace and with justice and with righteousness and truth. In this armor, we're no longer isolated, right? We move from that place of defensiveness to a place of defendedness. We move from a place of fear into a place of freedom. God stands with us as our king. We are not alone in our defense. So we know that we are not alone in the attack against us. We are not alone in our defense. The third thing Paul wants us to know is that we are not alone as the defended. It might seem obvious, but I'll say it anyways. Have you ever in your life seen an armed force comprised of only one person? No, of course not. It's an army. It wouldn't make sense for just one person to march off into battle with a body full of armor. When we take up the full armor of God, we take it up together as the entire people of God. And I want you to notice that there's no special armor set aside for people of particular power or importance. There's certainly not a dumbed down version of the armor available for teens. There's not a lady fit set of armor. I want you to know that the clergy don't receive any special armor that's extra shiny and extra protective. And the poor and the marginalized don't receive crappy hand-me-down armor that's full of dents and tears. That's not how it works. We're all given the same glorious tools. We're all given exactly what we need at precisely the moment that we need it. And that means every single one of us has an important part to play in God's kingdom for ourselves and for one another. And that is what I love about Camp Side by Side. Families arrive exhausted from fighting this hard fight on their own, but when they come to camp, they see that they're not alone. And as they lift their particular stories up into the one larger story, they see that this enemy that they've been fighting is so much bigger than what they originally imagined. So much bigger than their child's particular diagnosis. They see all the different ways that that enemy has been at work in the lives of the families that they're chatting with. There are tears, there are swear words, there are war stories that are confessed, there are fears that are confessed, and of course nothing is fixed. But... Families are able to look at one another and say, you feel overcome by this too? Maybe we could fight this fight together. Maybe when you feel weak, I could be strong. Maybe when I fall over, you could pick me up. The strength of God's armor is for all of us. We only stand if we stand together. We're not alone in our defendedness. I want to end with an invitation for us to imagine. I want us to picture, what if this community, this room full of us, this church congregation, could be just as powerful and healing for us as Camp Side-by-Side is for the families that we serve? Like the families that come to camp, we come here to UPC because it's fun, and there's nice people, and we want to feel encouraged, and there's good food, and nice music, and free coffee. But the real reason that we come here is because we're sick. It's because we're weak. It's because we are attacked. And as we come into this space, as we come to be with one another here in this room, or in small groups, or as part of the UPC softball team, or at the Rock, or the Edge, or the Inn, or any kind of service or outreach project, when we come together, we have this opportunity to share about our sickness, to lift up all of our specific wobbly places where we feel attacked and vulnerable we have this chance to name those struggles and lift them into a larger story and stand in the full force of God who wants to free us from this enemy that would steal and kill and destroy. Friends, may this be the place where we take up the full armor of God. May this be the place where we see that we're not alone in our attacks, where we stand together as a com- against a common enemy. May this be the place where we see we're not alone in our defense that God fights for us and equips us with what we need to stand. And may this be the place where we see that we're not alone as the defended, where you and me and all of us join under one banner in victory. God's won the war. We're no longer left alone to cower in our defensiveness. But instead, we've been invited to stand together as the defended. Let's pray. Lord, in only a second, we bow our heads, and even now, we, forget, we begin to forget uh, that your victory is sure. Leaving this place, we are prepared to be overwhelmed by all of the complicated and challenging places in our life, those wobbly places where we can't seem to get steady. Lord, we ask that you would help us to have exactly what we need, that you would show us the full armor each day, each moment, that you would teach us how to put it on again and again and again. And that you would strengthen us, not only as individuals, but that you would strengthen us as a community, as a church here in this city and in our state and in this country and in our world. That we would be prepared to stand in your victory and in your glory. We're thankful to be part of your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206 extension 117.